this is Stephanie Hansen, and you're listening to Dishing with Stephanie's Dish. And I am here at the St. Paul Culinary College, St. Paul College Culinary Program with Nathan Sartain. And he is a teacher at the college and a chef. I heard someone call you chef. I wasn't sure. Is that how all the students call you? <laughs> they could call me Nathan, but uh, yeah. Because yeah. I always instructor. just call you Nathan. Sure, please do. Um, so generally, we met... Boy, one of my big food memories happened at the college. You maybe will remember it. We were here for some kind of a dinner, and Stephen Hesse was cooking, and he served a whole head of pig at the table. Do you remember this dinner? I, I remember it was so. Hesse was there. Hesse was there for the cocktail hour. It was it was Jorge Guzman? Yep, and Thomas Bamer. That we're cooking. Okay, because I was, I feel like the guys from Pajarito somehow were here or, okay. They were, they, they were just, they were just drinking and then they left. Yeah, okay, so there you go. So this pork head got set on the table and I thought it was pretty great. You know, I'm, I'm interested in eating all the pork, but the people at the table were just like, their eyes were so wide and it was so funny. So it's one of the, of the memories I have about all the things I've eaten over the last 12 years of being on the radio show Weekly Dish. It's one of the memories that's implanted in my brain about everyone's face when this head of pork was sat down on the table. But it was delicious. So that was, I think, the first time that I originally met you. And then I heard through the grapevine that you had accepted a cookbook collection from Sue Zellickson. So tell me about that and how you ended up with these books. We, we had a small collection in earnest and the Art Institute of Minneapolis closed and they were in possession of a, a huge portion of Sue Zellickson's cookbook collection. When you say like a huge portion, how many cookbooks did this woman have? Was it like hundreds? Definitely. Okay. Um, thousands actually. So the, the, the collection that we received from Art Institute was probably about 1,500 titles, culinary-specific titles. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. How many, like, is that a room? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, it depends. We just did a, a big curating project this summer, and they were all stacked on the floor, and it did take up a whole room. But when you actually um, get it up on the wall, and in the shelves, it takes up, I would say, maybe 70 feet of wall space in the main library, and then we actually have a, an overflow uh, room that's that's really filled and um, that's where we do a lot of curating um, things like that it's pretty crazy to think about one woman having all these cookbooks but how exciting that you have them what i know about the minneapolis public library is i think they say that they have one of the largest cookbook collections in the country do you know this to be true the, the kirchner collection so it's a it's a special collection um at the u of m and uh they are boasting that the biggest collection. So the differences between our collection is that ours is about 4,300 titles and it's solely books. We're not counting uh, pamphlets and ephemera, although we do have those. Um, and Kirchner, I believe, is counting those. Um, so th they're both wonderful resources uh, yeah. side by side. They're just a little bit different. And it's so great. To, I was in both of your rooms, so in the library itself and then also in the overflow room. And I love the idea of thinking about kids and students, you know, having access to these books, because 
if I think about my life and cooking and how I sort of got to where I am, which is to say someone who talks about food and is not an expert on it. I am not a trained chef. I've, I've worked in restaurants, but, you know, I worked in a 50s diner and I worked at Dayton's actually in the Marshall Fields restaurant. And yet I have always had a just really strong opinion and appreciation about food. And I'm the eater, right? So I feel like for every person... A good marriage is if you have the expert or someone who kind of knows what they're doing and then the person that appreciates it. And I'm the appreciator in this instance. And I got that appreciation completely through cookbooks because I, I didn't have the expertise or the technical skills in a kitchen. So I learned about food and became entranced with spices and cooking with vegetables and animal husbandry and everything I know about food completely came through just reading cookbooks like they would be fiction novels. I mean, it's access for things that you don't necessarily have access to food specific for sure. How can you, you know, get a Buddha's hand in your own hand in February in Minnesota. So this allows you to kind of do that and at least, um, you know, kind of trips that curiosity so that you, you, um, you know, take advantage of those situations should a Buddhist hand present itself to you. And I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Buddhist hand citron? Oh my goodness. No idea. It, 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 it's a crazy looking thing. Um, is it and a it's all rind. It's, it's a citrus, but it's mainly pith. Um, there's really not that much to it. Um, where do they grow? Or oh, where do you find them? I would say Southeast Asia, I, sure. I think. Yeah. Buddhist hand citron. So you, you'll find the, like candium and, and things like that. Oh, neat. I've preserved them like North African preserved lemons. Sure. So you're here at the college and you have this massive cookbook collection. Mm-hmm. What specific courses do you yourself teach? Do, do I teach? Um, I teach a sanitation course and I teach a couple of nutrition courses, uh, culinary nutrition and then a, a nutrition for wellness professionals. And it's pretty easy to integrate all of those things into the, uh, into the collection or to integrate the collection into those curricula too. Today I was teaching a garmage class, which is, um, you know, you can use heat for production, but it's, it's mainly cold things bite to a bite and a half. You're getting your point across uh, very quickly and working as much technique as you can. And so that that's pretty easy to integrate this collection in as well. And that's actually a capstone course for, um, students that are going to be graduating. So it's time for them to conceptualize and, and um, you know, it's a nice resource to be able to do that. Do you like to cook yourself? Yes, but I cook way different at home than I cook uh, when I work. So when you're at home, what kind of foods do you cook? Um, really simple. Um, batch is, is basically what yeah, I focus on. So you're on. a batch cooker. Mm-hmm. So that means you typically, people will cook like one or two days a week. They might make five things, mm-hmm. portion it out. Because is eating whole or nutritionally sound important to you? Is that why you do it or just for convenience? It's important. I think it's important for for all chefs that have um, access to really rich foods all the time. They're wonderful and we make a living off it, but adequate, balanced, moderate, and varied. And how are you going to do that? Um, without packing a lunch sometimes it's tough to do yeah stephanie and i um eat and and during since covid it's been frankly it covid has had like a lot of terrible things but there have been some upsides too one of which was you know we used to eat out and i'll, I'll speak for myself but i know she ate out a ton and probably more than i did but you know you ate out five to seven times a week and 
the way I was managing my diet and my weight was basically intermittent fasting because I'd go to these 10 course dinners and then the next day, you know, I wouldn't eat so that I could kind of somehow manage to have a balance. What I learned at home is just being at home was a, that I'm even a better cook than I thought I was. And that cooking for yourself and cooking at home it just feels so much better for you. And I remember the first couple of restaurants that opened up and we went and like just both Steph and I were like, we are not like our stomachs are not used to this. We are not in training for this kind of eating. Hmm. Because when you go from, you know, cooking at home, basically a meat, a protein or a protein, a couple vegetables, maybe a starch to then going into a setting where you're having a 10 course meal or even just a cheeseburger, fries, and a couple beers, you're just like, oh, it's been hard for us to like reacclimate. To train back up. Yeah, yeah, kind of. I know that sounds really weird and bougie, but yes. And also too, like, I think we all, I, I, I shouldn't say we all, I, a lot of people drank so much more at home. So in a, in a restaurant setting, you know, there was mostly, I would drink like a cocktail at getting to a place and then have a glass of wine usually. Well, at home, you know, that became like, okay, the cocktail or maybe just wine, but my husband doesn't drink wine. So all of a sudden I was like, wow, I can drink a bottle of wine by myself in a night very easily. And that's not super healthy either. So just kind of learning about moderation and flow and, and picking when you want to drink instead of habitually drinking, I think is something we've learned. And I guess I'm still learning that because we're just kind of coming out of COVID and getting back into restaurants. Did you have any weird, because in terms of the school, were you still teaching during that time? Well, when it when it first hit the fan, no. And it was like, oh, you know, what do we, what do, we do? We got to redefine how we instruct people. And how, how are we going to do that? And for better or worse, we, we did that last, so it, you know, it went, we went in lockdown, what was it, in March? Um, and that, that continued the rest of that academic year. And it was pretty amazing to see people respond to things and just, you know, almost, we're not seeing it as much right now, but almost at that point, people were putting on a different temperament where it was like, oh, okay, this is, this is it. And these are the punches and I'm going to roll with it. Um, as we all adjusted, um, when we got back to school in the fall, uh, because we do have summer session off, then it, it was, we were doing things, we we're cohort based. So we were splitting the cohort in half and having half of them, you know, come in on Monday and Wednesday and the other half would, yep. would come in the, the alternate days. And so, you know, nary the two should meet. Uh, and we did pretty well with it. And there wasn't, you know, there was a couple of cases here and there, but it didn't ravage the cohort and it didn't spread from one cohort to the other. And I should be knocking wood right now, I know. Uh, I suppose. But you know, we may, we may do, I guess in the whole industry, it was shaken to its core and still remains to be. And you know, those tremors were there before COVID happened too, but um, we're an industry that's built on, you know, rapid evolution and necessities, the For mother sure. of invention, whatever kind of cliche that you want to put out. Like, we, we respond to something uh, and that's it. And it was just putting those, you know, that, that lens on and responding to something really weird. And when you look at the cookbook collection, mm -hmm. what struck me when I looked at it today is sort of like, there's this whole book about microwave cooking and that was revolutionary, obviously in the early seventies. 
and there were a lot of the diet books and the vegan before six and I'm a sucker for any kind of like food diet book where like if you eat this way then you'll lose weight like for whatever reason as long as it's whole eating I'm always on board I'll try anything I've done cabbage soup diet like I don't know I think because I'm kind of excess when I eat out that it's like oh I'm always trying all these things but cookbooks are like a reflection of time and a reflection of of culture and is that something that's hard to bring into a school setting or how do you communicate that and do they have like assignments that they have to get things out of cookbooks and cook or how does that even work how do they use the books here mm. well there's you were asking a couple, couple of different I know. things here. When I, I know. Start. Loading I them think, up. I think a cookbook collection is also a deeply personal thing, as a book collection in general is, right? It says a lot about a, a human. Um, and I think that's really cool. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to go and, and, as we've been putting this thing together, go and meet individuals that were donating books. And talk to them and see what their see what their stash was and kind of see you know see what you can tell a little bit about them. Um, so that's really fun and it's really fun to bring all of those things together like a lifelong collection. Yeah. People collect things and they're important to them um, and they're unique. Uh, and then you bring them uh, together and and you know becomes this kind of whole so i mean there's something for for everybody there and everybody eats too so i mean you were saying you're not an expert at it but yeah yeah you are just in is your own way eat? right yeah. and so that's to me what the collection is about too is is individual individuality within it and that there's something for everybody certainly wrestle um with with some content um you know with with appropriation and things like that and maybe some authors that um you, you kind of have to look past the artist and how they behave and and things and i think that there is a dialogue for that but we're accepting um everything yeah it's you know it's interesting you bring that up because we talked about like al franken was sort of one of the first sort of me too icons that he obviously um was accused of inappropriately touching people and i think kissing a woman at the state fair uh, then came Garrison Keillor, and I have struggled. And we've Michael Jackson is another person that this I've had this discussion with my family. Like these are the things we talk about in the summer at the cabin, right? Mm -hmm. With the fourth glass of wine, where <laughs> we just go at it about separating like the art from the artist and the offense from the artist, because we've had these artists that have a lot of the great artists. We're not great people, right? Creative people sometimes are complicated, messy. And how do you separate that? And we've seen that in the food business too with Mario Batali. Like no one has heard from him really in since his whole reckoning. And we've had a lot of other chefs too um, going through this situation. Um, there's a, another guy that's in the South that I think of that. Has, Bash? Yeah. Uh, New uh, Orleans? Yeah, kind of his whole empire has been upended and I don't want to make excuses for anybody's personal behavior. Cause I don't know if it's true, not true. And I always tend to believe a victim, but it is interesting to think about it in the context of cookbooks and cooking, because like Mario Batali, for instance, had this whole body of work. Do we just ignore that whole body of work because he made horrible choices and perhaps was a sexual predator? I don't know. I don't know. Think about the art and the artists that we go and we stand in museums. 
And we don't know what those people's personal lives were like. And I'm sure some of them were totally creeps. So it's interesting to think about where we will land on this whole subject as we cycle through the next hundred years, right? Because it's, it's just, it's going to be really interesting. And it has touched so many different things, whether it's food, whether it's music. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting subject to think about. And, it, and to think about it as it pertains to someone's body of work as they leave this cookbook behind. Because mm-hmm. um, Julia Child, just using her as an example... Like, we still don't, I think, 100% know whether she was a legitimate spy for the United States government. I believe she probably was, but people really don't know. Her husband was a diplomat, and that would not be completely unusual in that circumstance. But what if we do find out that she was? Like, do we disregard her whole tome because of whatever? I I just, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Um, I'm glad that you guys decided to accept pretty much everything because who are we to make those determinations? Their history will be the right, figure out what the right way to handle that is. Don't you think? Oh, I, yeah, I think so. Um, do you have uh, a couple favorite cookbooks like that are in your collection at home or that when you see them come through your doors, you're just like, yeah, like I'm like a Rushmore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's, let's see. Uh, that's pretty, a pretty tough one. Um, just to just to break it down to like five books, it, it's tough because th- there's so many different you know, um, facets of of cuisine that you could be into, or um, you know, you could be into foraging or whatnot. Right, and seasonal. Yeah, sure. So it, that's a difficult thing to say. To it depends how I feel. You know, if I'm feeling. Um, particularly pious i think i'd say the scott the gita scoffier you know we throw that one on <laughs> yep. there but i'm not cooking out of that book too much right um it's a nice you know paperweight and it's you know this this book but and it makes you feel good to hold it mm-hmm. yeah, oh for sure yeah it does um so i would some books that i'm really uh interested in and that really um strike me right now um, I've been stuck on Sean's book for a while and mm-hmm. on Sean Sherman's book for a while. Uh, and I think that there's a lot there. The sous chef, mm-hmm. the name of that book. Yep. Um, what is it about that book? Uh, that book is basically cooking in an indigenous and native American way mm-hmm. with only products that would have been found in the time of, um, the indigenous people mm-hmm. kind of like the restaurant here. It was a very groundbreaking book because nobody had ever done anything like that as far as I know. And it is, um, it's accessible in that you can cook. I felt like you can cook out of it. Like I felt like I could do the recipes. Some of the ingredients were kind of hard to source <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Is it that you love just the idea of it and, and this, the bringing it back to such a wholesome state? I love the ethnocolonology of it. I mm-hmm. think it's it's great. I think that Sean's a really important person and a really important voice uh, for for that right now. I think that um, you know if you're involved in that type of cuisine, then you'll see a huge community of really amazing individuals that are bringing that to the forefront. Now, um, what I'm really interested in is public health, and that's one of the things that really gets me about his book and his flavors because he's also if you look at it building off of a lot of bitter odorant molecules like that's central to his 
to his cuisine and then he's responding to those things because they're available to him mm-hmm. um and i think that's a really cool approach to cooking regardless of, of if it's indigenous or if it's just like what you have available to right. you. so but the thing about it is and, and i'll get back to the personal health thing or the the um, public health thing the bitter odor molecules like we we think a lot of times that's uh, where poison exists and we reject it. Right. And so bitter is one of those flavor profiles that we have to work to, to, to get. So we, to get to the point where we enjoy it. Um, but that's where all these antioxidants live too. Um, and so f- unfortunately we just say, well, we don't, we don't want to taste that at all. Or food producers will literally breed it out of their food stuff. So yep. we're going to get these like benign leafy greens that, don't taste like much at all. I've They're never just thought about it. Yeah. For, for ranch dressing, you know? Yep. So that, that's the coolest thing to me. And I think where his genius is, is responding to the flavors that are available with, with other things. And they're all simple uh, approaches too. You um, make me want to go back and eat there again. Cause I did have, I would say probably actually I've had two really significant meals in the last year and mm-hmm. you know, COVID, but it was eating at his place and then also with Karen Tomlin- Tomlinson mm. at Muriel. And both of what was so transformative about the meals was sort of the foraged nature, you know. Um, it's, yeah, we, we are lucky that we have so many good chefs in our midst. Mm-hmm. And she's one of the most talented mm-hmm. that I've ever seen before. And the, so the subtlety. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, un- unbelievable. Well, so she was introduced to me by Diane yet or Diane Moore. Yep. Uh, as Diane Moore's favorite pastry chef. I, I love think it. When she was at Burrow. So it was like, oh, all right, I'm going to pay attention sure. here. And that was before Favakin and whatnot. But yep. yeah, then came back and blew it up at corner table. And uh, I haven't had the opportunity to go to Muriel yet. It's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, I like Jamie Malone too. At uh, that was cooking at Eastside, that is had Grand Cafe. I like her sensibility, and I kind of like that feminine leaning into that. And I think Karen is doing that because that feels like beautiful to me. It feels elegant, but it's also sort of homey. It's like how their moms cooked, and that appeals to me. We get a lot of masculine sort of food in the chef world, so I like how subtle they are and how just beautiful the food is how they really pay attention to the care of the dining room the napkins the silverware I, this is a weird thing but while i was eating there i was like gosh just the silverware that she has in there and i made a comment to her after and she was like she she was happy that i noticed the silverware because like the heft of it made each bite of soup while the soup was fantastic and amazing and i had these um barky little notes in there that were from barley that were kind of autumnal tasting if you can taste autumnal but it was also the spoon and the heft with which it sat in my hand and you just know that she pays attention to all those single details yeah that's that's great yeah so i think you'll you'll like it a lot um thanks for talking to me today about cookbooks and of course um before we break your your break i guess we're not in the studio so but your last round of sort of collection that came in to you was from chef jack rayball did he call you or how did that transpire well jack um 
he he did call me about his collection. Yes, uh, he's a, a graduate of the program. Jack I is, didn't know that. Well, um, so I haven't given it to him yet, but he's receiving an honorary um, doctorate of fine arts from St. Paul College. I have the the diploma in my possession. I just have to deliver it to him when it's convenient for him. Um, he started here, so he's had a relationship with the school for a better part of. Well, I don't want to give his age away, but sure. five parts of five different decades. Sure. Uh, anyway, so he started as a student in earnest, and like a lot of our students, you know, life gets in the way, and he had to go and make make money sure. and, and whatnot. So he didn't quite finish. Um, it didn't get in the way of his successes, uh, but uh, but he didn't quite finish, and so he had the opportunity to kind of to tie that up for him. Uh, anyway, so we've been in talks uh, about that um, since. Um, you know, Jack's um, struggling with endocrineal cancer, um, and it, it's uh, it's come time for him to start liquidating his yeah. his book collection. And I got to tell you, this I've never seen a collection like like the, you can tell a lot about a, a person, right? And we we all know that Jack was just a student and and somebody that was um, really um, adept at doing. Uh, f- f- foundational cooking and fundamentals uh-huh. and he understood and respected people um that did those things well and knew that you know his art at least came from that and doing those things really excellently and then going you know from there um so if you can imagine his cookbook collection it was it's it's outrageous uh and, and expansive it's about 500 titles um and uh you know we have those in our holdings now and we'll be um integrating those and, and people will be learning from them for for a long time i remember when he took over halftime wreck and it, here it was sort of this old saint paul bar it had bocce in the basement on the dirt floor and he wanted to bring back sort of this irish uh pub style food that not really anyone was doing most of the irish restaurants in town were kind of leaning into the whole fish and chips thing and he came on the show and he was talking to us about the menu that he had for halftime wreck and just the like depth of the Irish cooking that he knew <laughs> and what he was trying to achieve, what he was bringing to light dishes that were pub fare, but fare I'd never even heard of. And he had researched all through all these cookbooks and found just different approaches to this Irish fair that fit perfectly in at halftime rack, which is basically a neighborhood bar. And uh, it was one of my favorite spots when he did it. I just, when he was the chef there and helping them get started, Mm. we ate there a lot. I just loved it. But I just, I think that speaks to his cookbooks and how he took those cookbooks and took that aesthetic of putting it together in this Irish bar. Uh, he did a great job with. So I appreciate that you've uh, gotten his books and that they will go on to the next edition. Um, cancer's a bitch, and he's handled it with grace. He's he's doing so well still. It's hard to think about the day that he doesn't do well, but um, it's been fun to visit with him and to kind of see his... You know what I like about it? I like that he has gotten to see the meaning that he's had in so many people's lives in the Twin Cities. His friends, his family, his customers. Because he has a cancer that he's he's terminal and it was stage four right away, it, al- it allowed people to have that time with him because you weren't searching for necessarily the cure. 
you were just hoping for time. And that's a different cancer journey than people that are searching for cures. So while it's completely tragic and sad, if there's a bright spot and they do think for him in some ways that he's gotten to really see the impact he's had on the twin cities, he just, you know, a kid from St. Paul Mm -hmm. and he talks about himself in that regard, but that kid from St. Paul has done some pretty great work. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And he's helped some pretty great people Mm -hmm. um, that that needed that help and springboarded. So there's a huge um, legacy of, of of mentorship uh, there too. Um, And, you know, I can name several, uh, individuals that have come through, uh, you know, our ranks here and then gone to work for him that are doing really well. So he's a, he's a leader of, of humans too. Yeah, he really is. Well, thanks for sharing the Thank cookbook you. collection with me today and just catching up.